Welcome along. It is the gardening programme here on a, a rather dull Saturday morning, Porrick Horkin. Good morning good to morning, you. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, Deirdre. Yeah. How are you? A little challenging weather-wise out there today, isn't it? It is. Today, uh, yeah, it's it? been very damn, very, very disappointing week, I suppose, weather-wise. But uh, look at you, that's what we have to put up with. There's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. But upwards the, and onwards. What are the positives, though? We get? Well, I mean, you were saying that, it, you know, it's damp, but there are things we can be absolutely. doing. Absolutely. And I think last week I was um, talking about uh, the sowing of seed in particular, you know, the ground conditions are ideal for sowing seeds in, in general and the temperatures are just right. So um, I think anybody that sowed seed last week will certainly in the next couple of days see that sprouting. Uh, the other key thing when you get rain like this is it's a great time for feeding plants because plants are actively growing now at the moment and will continue to actively grow right through to the end of May, mid-June sort of period, they start to peak. Um, so feeding of plants. So if you haven't put on your kind of tree and shrub feed on your your laurels or your hydrangeas or you haven't fed the roses, um, this weekend with the showery weather would be great weather for just getting on a little bit of fertiliser. Or say you, you treated your lawn for the lawn moss back in March and it's looking really well now. We're coming up to the time of year to give it a second application of a straight fertiliser. So something like Park and Fairway, which doesn't contain any moss control or weed control. Mm-hmm. It's just a straight fertiliser. If it's applied, say, this weekend, again with the showery rain, that'll get washed in and it'll help to maintain the colour in lawns then right through until, you know, the, the middle or to the late part of summer. So the feeding of plants, really, um, or if your potatoes have broken the soil and are beginning to come on now, again, a good fertiliser applied at this time of year with the rain is, is absolutely perfect. Um, so that the sort of wet weather we're having is, mm. is great for seed sowing. It's great for um, feeding plants in particular. So trees, shrubs, hedging plants, roses, vegetable plants that have they're actively growing at the moment. This is the time to get out there and give them a, a feed. Also, I mean, once once it, the ground does, or once the weather dries up a little mm. bit, of course, ground conditions are still very course, good for yeah. planting. So if you're, you know, if you're thinking of putting a new, uh, because it, you know, we were saying a couple of weeks back, it actually got a, ta- a little bit dry. It did. The soil and, for and, a and of things weeks. kind of suffered a tiny bit, just, or they didn't come on as quickly as we might have expected. Well, fertilizer tends to just sit there, mm. and plants are just sitting there as well, waiting for the bit of moisture. So, um, yeah. Look, at it's inclement at the moment, but there are certainly things that can be done. There are, and it's not so bad that uh, the water isn't collecting in a puddle or anything no, like that. it's not that heavy. Yeah, it's uh, not that heavy. My own grass was shocking high, I have to say, and I didn't give, again, all week, just between time work and everything, didn't get out. But yesterday evening, there was a bit of a chink, and I said, it kind of had stayed dried for a couple of hours. And I said, that's it, Time out, to get out quick. There. So got it done. And just on the last round, the rain started. And, there you go. Uh, but I was happy. And you've got to I, take those moments. That, yeah, I didn't mind at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is a little bit of a challenge for those kind of jobs. But on the planting side and the feeding side, get out and get it done. Yeah. And if you if you do get a window over the next couple of days, do get the lawns cut because very quickly at this time of year, they go from being nice and neat and looking good oh to, my, yeah. <laughs> to choking up the, the lawnmower. So yeah, if you do get a window, get out there and, and, and trim the lawn. Yeah. The other key thing, really, at the moment is is climbing plants. Yeah, you brought in some climbers. This I morning. did because the we were saying last week that, and and again, I was admiring the many plants coming up uh, to Ballyhonus this morning. But lots of laburnums just coming into flower. Lots of those spring. Uh, flowering plants, the uh, magnolias and, and lots of the kind of late spring, early summer mm. plants just coming into bloom now. Brooms are lovely at the moment. Uh, but 
Clematis Montana, the lovely uh, early flowering Montana, is coming into flower now. The, the pink buds are just beginning to come out, and they're going to be loaded with flowers. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a few clematis on you know wo- trailing walls oh, yeah, and stuff like yeah. that over the last week, and it's stunning actually. Yeah. Huge amount of blooms on them, and that's just you know because we've had all spring flowering plants are flowering really well this year. But it's a good time for planting climbers. So if you're thinking of uh, you know covering up a bare wall or putting something on a trellis work, or you've got a wall that you don't want to paint um, then this is a really good time to put climbers in because they're coming into growth now they're actively growing and if you get them into the soil you'll benefit from this year's growth um, so planting them say over this weekend or over the next 10 days you're going to get that full season of growth and cover and particularly the early flowering clematis um, that variety Montana is a very very easy variety to grow it's one of the hardiest varieties it comes in shades of pink and white and there's another very nice variety uh, mm-hmm. an early flowering variety with small flowers called Brownton Star which has again the pink flowers but they're kind of semi-double and again that variety is just coming into flower at the moment Brompton Star look for that in the garden centres if you plant it now it'll put on six to eight feet of growth right? this year really? yeah wow. absolutely and, you and all, that's a great looking plant as it is at the moment yeah it's you know? very strong but you can see already the amount of growth that has made in the last two weeks so this plant uh, certainly by July, August will be six, seven feet in height. So uh, ideal for covering a large arch, a trellis work, a large wall, or indeed if you had, say, ivy up against the wall, you mm. wanted to add a bit of flower colour through it, then that Clematis, Brompton Star, is really good. It's very vigorous, very, very easy to grow, and it doesn't suffer from pests and diseases or there's no, it's a no, no trouble, no hassle uh, flowering Clematis. Bring us, bring us on. Oh, isn't that a lovely one? Well, actually, the other one I thought that because it's a dusky pink, the one we just were talking about there, um, Brompton Star, the Brompton Star. But now you're after lifting one up, and it's a kind of a bit of a reveal moment. What have we got here? Well, this this is again in springtime we tend to associate clematis with small flowers. They Mm. tend to be the Montana varieties or the Vichicelli varieties, which are tend to be smaller blooms. This is a clematis, an early flowering one called Pink Champagne. Well, I have to say, you want to see lovely, the size of the flower. The flower is as big as my hand. It is. And it's it's that beautiful, um, that kind of really rich, purpley pink colour. Um, I don't know, does it look like pink champagne now? But it, that's the name <laughs> it's given. It's a bit early in the morning well, for pink champagne. It sure is. <laughs> but it's a really nice early flowering variety. If you wanted something kind of a bit more stunning, larger blooms, yeah. a little bit more colour, it really resembles the summer flowering clematis. But it does flower at this time of year, late April, early May, every year. So that's a, quite a nice one. And again, it's a variety. I find very easy to grow. Yeah, and the flowers on it almost look, they almost look velvet-like. They are, eh? yeah. don't they? The colour yeah. is that velvety yeah. purple and, and they're, to touch, they're, they're a velvet kind of a texture as well. So that's a really nice one. Another good large flowering one is called Guernsey Cream. Guernsey Cream. If you wanted a white, say what you had a shaded area that was quite mm-hmm. dark or say you had dark green ivy on a wall and you wanted to brighten it up, there's a really good variety called Clematis Guernsey Cream which has creamy white flowers does really well in shade or semi-shaded areas and that's the place to grow because the flowers tend to hold the true white colour if it's if it's planted out into a very sunny location the colour in the flower tends to fade a little so if you want to add a bit of brightness a nice white colour at this time of year in a dark corner or somewhere where you've got ivy or say climbing hydrangea mm-hmm. growing which doesn't flower to the summertime 
that's a really good variety Clematis Guernsey Cream to add that little bit of colour early in the year the flowers are again are about four inches in diameter um, yeah, and it's got lovely kind of yellow really kind of bright yellow stamens in the centre of the flower right. so it's white with a yellow, yellow centre yeah. and a really good variety to go but many of the climbers Deirdre at this time of year things like wisteria which is going to be coming into flower around the end mid to the kind of late May beautiful plant it, mm, it, it's, it, I love wisteria and it, it uh, resembles I suppose the the golden rain tree the mm. laburnum in terms of the kind of long racemes of flower but the common shades of pink and in blue and in white and again this is the time of year to plant wisteria into the garden it won't flower for you this year or you might get a small number mm. of flowers but certainly it's a very vigorous climber and a really good plant to put in to plant at this time if you if you want colour and, and coverage um, so the clematis are really good great time to plant them honeysuckles can be planted at this time of year climbing roses should be put in this time of year again if you want something evergreen that's going to retain the foliage all year round go for the variegated ivies mm. they'll self cling to the walls they're easy grown um, and you know will cover a wall area six seven feet within two or three years and again once you've got them established you can introduce some flowering climbers through them wisteria can be planted now climbing hydrangea. Another good evergreen climber is the evergreen Virginia creeper, Cissus striata. So it has the nice red colour of the Virginia creeper but it retains the leaf in winter and again that's a quite a vigorous climber. Again if you want to cover a large wall a barn say, an outhouse mm. somewhere kind of big and you want lots of colour, yeah. that's Cissus striata or evergreen or ever, uh, evergreen um, Virginia creeper. Uh, that's the one to look for. Everlasting sweet pea I mentioned it a couple of weeks back that again can be planted at this time of year and again it's a good plant if you wanted to add a bit of colour up through an existing shrub or bo- or um, climbing plant for added colour. So it's a really good time for putting in climbers and when you're planting climbers it is important to prepare the soil very well because you're expecting a plant to put on four or five feet of growth per year. Yeah. It can only do that if the soil conditions are right. So do dig out plenty of of um, area and space, add in a good quality compost, add in some topsoil and a mixture of slow-release fertiliser. So get them off to a really good start because once they get going, you really don't have the option of pulling them back off the sure. wall and redoing the Looking, soil. Yeah. So you know, particularly with climbers of all plants, soil preparation is critical and um, too often I see small little holes dug and the plants just slotted down into it and, right. and really they struggle. So it pays to spend a bit of time planting them well. You really want to be putting in about half a barrel of topsoil into the planting hole when you're planting each climbing plant. Right. That, that kind of sort of quantity. Um, and that's it and really, really good time to plant them. Okay, and lots of colour and just if, if what you've brought in the studio, which I know is only uh, just a very small sample this morning is anything to go by, um, you know, you're, you're really talking about a lot of drama and uh, yeah. a nice bit of colour. And they're great you because if you, if you have a house or say a garage wall that you're fed up painting or it might have a few little cracks in it and you want to kind of cover it up and, and make it more attractive, then the climbers will do that for you, and particularly the evergreen varieties, those uh, ivies or the evergreen Virginia creeper um, um, they're really, really good and you can always add a bit of colour to those by adding clematis or honeysuckles or wisteria to grow up through them. Great so stuff. it's a great way. The other plant I brought yeah, again... Yeah, it's like something nice, that's going to Chelsea, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> <What a cheer laughs> or Bloom. Uh, it's, a, it's a lupin, I think. It's a it bar. is a lupin. Yeah, it's, it's a, it looks like a prize-winning lupin. It's a really nice you. one. I, I just picked it in the yeah. garden centre last night because it's just coming into flower. This is one of the, the West Coast series, um, which is a... Uh, an unusual variety of lupin in that it's got a bicolour. It's got two 
colours in the one flower. So we've so got yellow and we've got purple. Purple in this particular variety. Yeah. But they, they come in a whole range of different colours. But that West Coast series are, are particularly striking. Quite a big flower. The flower itself is nearly 18 inches to two feet when it's fully open. Yeah, it's, it, it's much bigger. I'm going to have to stand up now and have a right look at it. It's much bigger than what we would consider the standard lupin. It is, yeah. yeah. And But the plant itself is more compact. So it doesn't get that it doesn't go gangly it doesn't get yeah. too big in height the plant will grow to about three feet and then the flowers are about um, eight inches nearly to two feet long so it's a really good variety for cutting if you wanted a nice lupin for just a splash of colour yeah. say even through shrubs or borders uh, to add a bit of colour this time of year um, or as a cut flower it's a really good variety so they're the West Coast series they're they're quite nice they can be planted this time of year if you get the plants reasonably strong they will flower this year as this one ha- is mm-hmm. is doing and of course they'll flower year, every year after that but they're quite a nice neat compact plant but but but, but fairly dramatic at the same time and are there quite a different few varieties there in are the West there's Coast different series? colors there's right. a, a range there's about five different colors in them but they've all got that bicolor uh, characteristics so you've got the either pink and yellow or purple and yellow or um, blue and yellow there's a whole range of different colors but they're very striking and each plant will produce quite a number of blooms they flower over quite a long period so it's just one to look out for yeah. great time to plant lupins and they're a really simple plant to grow now you've brought in your lemon geranium I again. brought it back in because yeah. uh, we, we featured it a couple of weeks back and of course we ran out of them so I brought it back in again this is the lemon scented geranium that I mentioned at this time of year because it's particularly good the foliage is highly scented it's got that lovely citrus lemon scent but in particular it's great for putting oh, yeah. a, oh it's, it's even more dramatic than the last and, time and I the last time yeah. you remember it does it does but, uh, so it's a good plant particularly say for a windowsill um, and in particular it deters flies so the little yeah. midgets and flies um, which again this you know we're going to be seeing a lot more of over the next couple of weeks so that's a good plant to put on your sunny windowsill to add a bit of scent and uh, the aroma that citrus smell keeps the um, keeps the bugs away as well um, it does flower it has a, a pink flower I think you were asking me about that before oh, that's yeah. the actual flower that comes oh, on the plant that's very pretty yeah it's, it's kind of a small dainty pinky blue purple flower um, some people like to take it off and just hold it for its foliage scent uh, but you can let it flower as well not as spectacular flowering as the traditional traditional red geranium but it's still it's really grown for its scented foliage but it's Um, serving a different purpose too it is and that's it if if you don't want to be kind of using the uh, bug sprays and so on get yourself a couple of those plants stick them on the windowsill in the house and the flies will yeah. move on and there and I have to say I really like the you know I, I'm somebody who likes green stuff uh, and it's a really rich green colour isn't really, it yeah and it has lovely texture to the leaves it has, as well yeah, so kind of a crinkly it is leaf. quite decorative in its own right even kids touching it mm. you know even to smell it there you can get a get fantastic this, yeah. scent off it and even without um, in the heat of the house the, it'll actually excrete that scent itself well, that lemon citrus cell smell will come off it mm. so they're just a couple of interesting plants I thought great well the, yeah, the bro- lots, lots of options there for people if you're kind of looking out going what can I do with that patch or what can I do with that wall or fence or whatever it is so we've got climbers and we've got uh, those west coast series lupins lupins yeah and perennial plants it's a good time to be putting in kind of the European roses and all of those the other plant I actually mm-hmm. spotted was um, and somebody it, it, uh, we had a question in a couple of weeks back somebody asked about sweet potatoes the yams oh yes which are which are not related to our our uh, traditional Irish spud in any way it's it's actually more related the um, sweet potatoes are, are related to convolvulus that bindweed that we see in the garden <laughs> so it's a completely different, uh, different genus animal. and family yeah um, so the yams uh, the, the actual plants of, of sweet potato are available at this time of year for growing um, so if you've got yourself say a tunnel or greenhouse porch somewhere warm 
protected conservatory or a really warm spot in the garden, maybe a kind of a, you might have a little cul-de-sac at the back of the house that's particularly warm, then you can grow the sweet potato there. And the best way to grow them is just get the plants at this time of year, pot them up into a good size tub uh, with a good quality compost and just let the plant grow until September, October. Whenever you see the foliage starting to go off, that's a sign that the sweet potato is beginning to uh, produce its its sweet potatoes. potatoes yeah. They're starting to ripen at that stage. The plant itself is actually quite nice. It's more a, a twining, tra- trailing sort of plant. So you could, you could actually grow the plant itself up bamboo canes as a climbing plant. Right. And it does produce a nice purple flower in the summertime, um, kind of a cup-shaped, bell-shaped flower. But then it produces the sweet potatoes at its root base uh, around September, October, and they can be harvested at that time of year. So something different. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to feed the family no. on them. But if you wanted something novel, something to try, particularly if you got a greenhouse, a tunnel, uh, conservatory, that sort of protected environment, then they're worth a, a go at this time of year. And by September, October, you'll probably get four to five sweet potatoes off the one plant. Okay, enough, sort of enough for a sweet potato pie. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so they're the sweet potatoes or yams. And, and I remember we did have a question a couple of weeks back. Um, and I think they're becoming more popular. People are trying them now. In, in well, I suppose the whole thing of sweet potatoes is that like, you know, I suppose if you went back the clock 10 years ago, very few people, we never saw we never sweet potatoes. No. But because we have different nationalities and cultures maybe coming in, um, you now see them in shops and they're becoming um, a lot more popular. And traditionally as well, I think at Thanksgiving, um, the oh, Americans Probably, would use yes, them yeah. uh, as well. So kind of all of, I suppose, the, the broadening of the global cuisine, if yeah. you like. Has, well, it has, is. A, it's a South American plant, I think, is, from memory. Yeah, so, yeah. so um, Casa- Is it cassava? Is it, or is, or is that, that's different. That's so, yeah, so I won't confuse the issue. I don't know. I <laughs> don't know where you're going with that one. So, I might take a break for it <laughs> and we might come to both good questions <laughs> then. 87 is the number, of course, if you want to text a question to Warwick this morning in association with CNC Cellular. Um, you can phone us as well. Teresa is taking calls on 0818 Okay, you're very welcome back. Right, Park. We, we, we talked about lavender quite a bit on the programme last week. Kitty has a question with a lavender hedge right. uh, and moss going on the stems. The hedge seems to be rotting. Is the moss causing this to happen? Well, the moss wouldn't be, but um, I mean, the, the moss isn't parasitic and it doesn't damage plants as such. Having said that, the fact that the moss is growing there is an indication that the soil is heavy. Uh, probably retains water and lavender won't grow in those sort of situations as I said last week you need when planting them you really need a very uh, free draining sandy gritty type of soil for, for lavenders so what you can do just to get rid of the moss because it can be unsightly is to get a, a little bit of uh, green up which is a powder you mix with water you can spray it safely onto the stem of the plant and that will get rid of the moss that's there um, but having said that Kitty would want to look at the at the soil for the lavender and maybe leave it till next autumn right. you know trim them back get rid of the moss give them a feed leave it till next autumn and possibly even take the lavenders out of that stage and redo the soil add in a lot of grit a lot of gravel uh, Im- improve the drainage and uh, you'll certainly have less less moss and the la- lavenders will do a whole lot better they need that sunny free draining gravelly type of soil that's really where they they um, where they thrive, thrive. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's the secret. We're saying, to really, it's, it's yeah, the impoverished much, soil, really. Yeah, and too much moisture, you know, in heavy soil, <clears> that's what rots the roots of lavender. It's not frost. It's not anything else. It's simply our very wet, mild 
Splinters. Splinters, yeah. right. Uh, now, uh, a lady tells us that her mother was delighted to get some of the everlasting sweet pea plants. Oh, great, yeah. Great. Uh, they got the white type. Um, they're just wondering, uh, can you get the pink type as well at the yeah, moment? Yeah, the white or? one is one called white pearl, which is nice, and the pink one is called pink pearl. And they're available at the moment and a good time to plant them, yeah. So nip into the garden centres, they're, they're available now to plant. Now, things are growing and weeds are growing uh, quite prolifically at the minute. Lots of mare's tail (laughs) weed after sprouting up in a garden between the shrubs. What can uh, this listener use to get rid of it? And with with the moisture levels we've had over the last 10 days, mare's tail loves, it's actually a plant that will grow in water. Uh, it's one of these plants oh, that will right. grow in gravelly soil. It'll grow in. <laughs> it's not it, selective. No, it'll grow anywhere. It'll grow up through tarmacadam, as people know. And particularly when we get a, a flush of rain, that it really spurts it on. Um, now, how do you get rid of it? You can use a, a specific weed killer for mare's tail called Neardoff weed killer. Neardoff weed killer. Um, it's in a green bottle from memory. You'll actually, it actually has a picture of the mare's tail on the bottle. That's how you'll know it. Right. Um, you mix it up in water, you apply it the next dry day and that'll kill it off. Now you may need to repeat it depending on how severe the mare's tail is. Uh, you may need to repeat that again in July or early August if it re-sprouts but use that. It's, so it's called Neardoff uh, weed killer and I'm nearly certain it has a picture of the mare's tail Japanese knotweed as well any of those kind of m- more difficult weeds to get rid of you'll find that near off very effective on them and really the next dry day mix it up in the spray machine and just put it on Now a listener is wondering um, what is the name of the tree with the yellow hanging flowers they see it in gardens they're looking for three small trees for their garden Okay what do you think? Well, I think it's laburnum, but I, I, d- right. I don't. I, I don't think, think right. the laburnum is going to stay small for long. Well, it it would be it would be classed as a as a I suppose a medium sized right. tree for. Um, go on. Okay. No, 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 that's no. Well, I see a few big ones around. Maybe they're there a while. They're there a while. And and like laburnum will generally typically get to about 15, 16, 17 feet. You know, that would be classed as. Medium, a medium, medium size. size. Yeah, I'm only four foot nine, so you see, yeah, my, in my world, everything is bigger. So, but yeah, look at laburnum is that's what it is. It's, it's the golden rain tree. They're just coming into flower at the moment, and and very spectacular. Um, so if you're pl- thinking of planting one of those, then I would think about something that will add a bit of color during the summertime. Um, so some of the Malice family, they're flowering at the moment, and they have beautiful uh, berries. Then in the winter time, in autumn and winter, some of the varieties come with different foliage colours as well. So there's varieties like Malice Everest. There's one called Rudolph, as the name suggests. It's Might got lovely red, red berries in, 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 in winter. Um, so so putting maybe one or two of the Malice with the with the Laburnum would be nice. There's another lovely tree called Sorbus Arialutescens, the white beam. It's grown for its silver foliage, white flowers and red berries. So you've got a bit of interest and colour for quite a long period mm. from spring, it flowers in the summer and then berries in the winter. Um, so that's quite a nice tree. Some of the sorbus varieties like Comixta or uh, Joseph Rock, which has yellow berries, beautiful autumn colour, um, would be, they'd be all classed as kind of me- small to medium sized trees, suitable for, for really all gardens. And if you go for a mixture, always remember, you know, it's, it's tempting to go out to the garden centres now and buy everything that's in flower. Yeah. Always remember that you've got to consider kind of the summer period and the autumn period. So for me, the laburnum, great, a good choice. Anything in the Malice family, they're flowering at the moment. 
they, they're actually great pollinators of apple trees but they bear little fruits themselves in the autumn and so many varieties have good foliage colour as well. The Sorbius arielutescens which is the white beam which is quite good at this time of year and, and through the summer and autumn period the uh, mountain ash family are, are really good as well, make quite nice trees um, and maybe some of the smaller maples <clears throat> the variegated maples, they give very good colour. Now if you wanted a really small tree, the Japanese maple that I talked about last mm. week is quite nice, they're very spectacular at the moment, the lovely uh, foliage colour and they'll only grow to four, five, six feet yeah. in height so they're quite they're, yeah, they're quite not. neat as well. The wedding cake tree, Cornus controversia variegata, beautiful variegated foliage, red stems, perfect layers. It's it's classed really as a small tree or large mm-hmm. shrub and again it'll grow about 10 to maybe 13 feet in height. So that's the golden rain or um, the wedding, wedding cake, cake tree, tree. Boric. Yeah, the wedding cake tree, nice tree as well. Great, so and a good time to plant trees in general, and it's a, it's actually a good time to pick them because they're all in leaf at the moment. So rather than going into the garden centre in the winter time and trying to figure out from a picture of yeah. the tree, it's a good time to go in and actually look at the trees, and they're in leaf or they're in flower, and it's a good time to select them. But do make sure that you get a bit of seasonality into the mix, so that you have a nice spread throughout yeah. the year. Now turnips. Somebody has a nice ridge of turnips. Trees to turnips. <laughs> well, you know, we cover all things in this program. Go on, shoot. Uh, for, and a listener has a nice ridge of turnip seeds just sprouted this week. Right. Uh, so they're wondering what feed should they use to stop or prevent them from having the hollow hearts? We touched on this we last week. We talked about this. This is, yeah, yeah. boasting of the heart or, or brown heart. Yeah, so turnips and suede and radishes and those sort of plants in the, in the turnip family uh, can be affected by it. It's simply down to boron deficiency in the soil. So get your if, if they're young seedlings, I would get the liquid uh, Q4. I mentioned Q, or, um, Vitex Q4 last week. It, it comes in a pelleted form, which is great for putting in when you're mm-hmm. sowing the seed initially or preparing the soil. But it also comes in a liquid form as well. So simply get a, a bottle of the liquid Vitex Q4, mix it up in water, yep. pour it onto the seedlings, repeat it maybe three or four weeks later, and that, that will correct the boron deficiency in your soil. And the turnips should be 100%... This summer. Now, a listener is thinking of sowing a wildflower area in a disused part of the garden at the moment. They have a lot of weeds in the area, so they're wondering, should they kill them off and what should they sow? Yeah. Now, first of all, wildflower meadows are are a collection of various seeds, poppy seeds, cornflower, corn cockle, all of those sort of lovely um, poppies, all of those Mm. plants that we would associate with a meadow. The one characteristic with them all is that they like to be grown in impoverished soil, a bit like going back to our lavender. They like a, a gravelly, what they dislike is, is heavy, rich soils. So they'll actually do very well on um, the rougher the soil, nearly the better. Yes. Now, I would advise certainly getting rid of any existing weeds that are there because they're just going to colonise the area. So go out to, in the next dry day and apply something like Weed Free 360. Um, or resolve over the area, mix it up in water, apply it to the area. That'll eliminate any weeds that are there without contaminating the soil. It's then a matter, the other key thing I would put down before sowing the seed is lime because lime helps to lock up the fertiliser, the nutrition in the soil. So lime actually helps to nearly impoverish the soil and makes the ideal conditions for sowing seed. So an application of lime may be, so if, for, say for example you get out the week, this weekend and you apply the weed killer, the weeds will be den, dead by next weekend. That's the time to get the lime on. Scuffle up the soil, rake it over and sow the wildflower mix then over the area. It'll take two to three weeks for most of the seedlings to start to germinate 
and then you should get some colour this year, particularly from the annual flowers, but particularly this time next year, May and June and July of next year, you get a lot of colour. And where you're putting in a wildflower mix, it's always a good idea to put in um, maybe some spring bulbs, bluebells, snowdrops, um, dwarf narcissi, those sort of plants that will give colour in the early winter aconites, for example, that come into flower in December. So you're looking for colour from December right up to now and then the wildflower meadow starts to come into flower through the summer period and well into the autumn. So again, think about the seasonality. So Mm. get the seed in this time of year and then in the autumn, coming into October, get yourself some spring flowering bulbs. Cyclamen, for example, would be beautiful. Uh, Winter aconite, snowdrops, bluebells all of those sort of plants that will give you colour then from December right up to May and then the, sun, mm-hmm. the, the wildflower right. meadow comes Takes into summer. Over. Yeah. And it, it, wildflower meadow is a relatively maintenance, it's not maintenance free, but it's relatively low maintenance compared yeah. to a lawn. Um, so you leave it alone for the summer, you allow it to flower its head off, you allow the seeds to, to fall to the soil and then you cut it back with a strimmer or with a scythe and you just take away the old oh, bracken right. and old growth and that's it, you leave it to... To, to come kind back, of do its own do thing. Do its own thing the following spring. And you'll always get a small bit of weed, of course. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you eliminate most of the weeds now, uh, most of our weed we grow comes in the first flush. Right. So you've got kind of 70% of your weeds have already shown themselves. So if you get rid of those now, then you've got, you're starting with a relatively clean palette. And then... Uh, get on the lime and then get on your wildflower mix. mix. And they're available in garden centres at the moment. Great stuff. Um, we'll take one more and then we'll take a quick break now this is one like we kind of covered just a bit like, well we covered it fairly extensively to be honest last week um, but this is a slightly different twist on it Porik it's to do with the leather jackets which right. are a big issue at the minute somebody's wondering they have a big lawn and is there any way of addressing the problem other than using the Super Nemos because it's going to be kind of expensive for a big lawn Super Nemos should be only kept to, for your vegetable plants for your, if your leather jacket say in your tunnel or whatever Um I've noticed actually this morning, yes. I won't say where, <laughs> but I've noticed the starlings feeding oh, vigorously yeah. right. on my own lawn. Oh. <laughs> so I was saying right. last week with the weather, yes. the leather jackets are coming to the surface. And if you see, if you see a lot of starlings or crows Pick or birds in general picking at the lawn, now a few birds there's no panic. Yeah. But if you see flocks them actually doing a lot of feeding, you've got a lot of leather jackets. And if your lawn is showing any sort of yellowing, that's a sign that the leather jacket... So with the wet weather, they've come to the surface. Right. Right, so you'll see birds nipping away at them. In a big lawn, the best thing to use is a product called Trigger. So it's a specific insecticide that's used on leather jackets. You you simply mix it in a washing can, you apply it to the area, just drench it onto the, the area that's been affected and that'll get rid of your leather jackets. And it's far more economical than using super... So keep the super nemos strictly to or, vegetables. Right. You know, so it'll control leather jackets on your... Or, or cabbage root fly or any of those flies on your vegetables. And it's a totally organic treatment. The trigger is an insecticide, so it's fine on the lawn. Perfect. And again, this sort of wet weather perfect for putting it on because you want to drench it on so if the soil is moist the leather jackets are up to close to the surface you put on the trigger it'll work it'll work fairly very quickly. very quickly great stuff and it won't affect the birds and it won't and it won't affect the birds but they'll still be they'll still so they'll still feed off them as they're dying will they yeah i presume they will yeah all right <laughs> we won't go there uh i i'm going to take a quick break okay. we still have lots more to come so stay with us 
Now you're welcome back. We're going to talk to, about blueberries for a second, yep. Porik, if we may. Okay, we can, um, yeah. Tony, well, Tony has two questions for you. First of all, what do you use to feed blueberries? Well, remember that blueberries are lime-hating plants, so they, they like um, low lime levels in the soil. So the right feed is to use one of the ericaceous feeds, the sort of feed you'd use on a rhododendron or forest flame or any of those. So you, Tony can actually get a, a liquid feed called Grosure Ericaceous liquid fertiliser, simply mix it up in the washing can, put it onto the plants and that'll give them a good boost. And it's a good time to feed blueberries because they're coming into flower and they flower over quite a long period. So feeding them now will actually help to boost that, bring them into flower earlier and um, give you bigger fruit as well. Great. So a good time to, to feed. Now, Tony's also <coughs> wondering, is there an apple called sheep's snout? Sheep's snout. It's a real old variety. Um, and, and it's named because of the shape of the actual apple itself. It's oh, got right. that... Sheep snout, I suppose, shape to it. Now, from memory, it's a green variety, but it's very sour. Okay. So it's it's you know it's a real old variety. Um, not one you'd come across too often. Obviously. Not too often. Uh, you'd probably have to go to one of the um, more specialist nurseries for that. Um, but a real old variety. It's sour. It's green in in, in texture, but probably there are better varieties to plant now. Okay. But maybe for the yeah. novelty, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, a listener is wondering, what is the red-leaved hedge I see in gardens? Just noticed it in the past couple of weeks. They'd like a hedge about six feet high with some colour. Okay, well, so the red leaf. Well, there's two attracting that, them. Two that spring to mind. One is uh, copper beech, which is lovely at the moment, or purple beech. Mm-hmm. Just come into leaf actually last weekend and, and uh, putting on some nice growth at the moment. So that's quite good and it'll retain its foliage right through to November. And the nice thing I like about beech is that it's relatively easy to grow. Now, do remember that in the winter, the leaf changes colour, it withers, and it has a kind of rusty colour for the winter months. The other hedge that with has with red foliage is Fortinia red robin, mm-hmm. which again is very common at the moment, very colourful at the moment. Does very well as a hedge because the more you trim it, the more red colour you get from the the plant. You stimulate new growth, and on that new growth, you get the lovely red colour. Now that's uh, I suppose a little bit different in that it retains the leaf all year round, so you've got an evergreen. So if you want a good evergreen hedge, then Fortinia red robin will certainly and it'll grow five six feet comfortably. Um, and the more you trim it, actually, the better it does. Uh, good time, actually, to feed Fortini Red Robin as well to bring on more colour. Uh, but also Copper Beach, consider that as well. It's, it's a deeper colour, more purple in in colour in, in, uh, nature, um, but quite a nice hedge as well. But do remember that the colour then changes around November. Uh, now, a listener needs to move a large old rose bush. Is this the right or the wrong time to move it? What do they do with the roots? Because they know there's going to be a lot of them. Well, you can move old roses, but the time to move them is when, they're, when they've dropped their foliage. They're actively growing now, and a lot of the early varieties are actually coming into flower. Um, what I would actually do with, that, with the old roses is take some cuttings at this time of year. You know, mid-May, June is a good time of year to take soft wood cuttings. So whatever mm-hmm. growth the roses made this year, and take the cuttings quite short, only four or five inches in length, to strip off most of the leaves, leave one leaf at the very top of the shoot, dip it into some rooting powder, so what, take the rose and maybe take 10 cuttings or a dozen cuttings, short, four to five inches long, strip off the leaves into a little bit of rooting powder. Get yourself then a pot and mixture of sand and compost. Nice gritty mixture. Insert the cuttings and cover them with a polythene bag. Leave that sitting on the windowsill. And those rose cuttings should have rooted by, if you take them now, certainly by the second or third week of June, those little cuttings will have produced young roots and you've got yourself nice young plants 
of that variety of rose and it'll come true to type. Mm -hmm. So if it's a purple variety, a red variety, or white variety, if it's scented, then the, your cuttings will actually have the sa exactly the same characteristics okay. as the mother plant. Now then you can leave the mother plant until October, November, mm -hmm. literally with the spade, sever the roots, uh, take as much of the root ball as possible and transplant it somewhere else. And at that stage, I would cut it back to get it to re Start so try the cuttings now. Or, or often people would be out for a walk and they'd spot maybe a, a nice scent mm. of rose in, in a hedgerow that maybe was planted years and years ago or around an old derelict site. This time of year, coming into mid-May, June, great time to have a plastic bag in your pocket. Take a few cuttings. And away you as go. As people do in Chelsea when they're <laughs> walking around. <laughs> Is that what happens? Rob a few cuttings. <laughs> oh, gosh. But it's a good time of year because, and particularly to, if you take them young cuttings, soft young cuttings, they tend to root very rapidly. Right. If you keep them indoors in a windowsill, but cover them with a polythene Polythene. bag because that yeah. stops them drying out. And you literally just leave them for three to four weeks and then go back and just check them. And, and you'll know by right. once you lift the plant, it'll... You know, you'll feel, you'll feel that, that it is, it is yeah. rooted, yeah. yeah. And then from then on, you can plant them out into the garden. Great, so one for you. Now we we talked a lot about climbers initially, mm -hmm. um, and a listener has a problem with a climber. They've shot up really high. Okay. Should they cut them back a bit at the moment? Well, it depends what what climber it is. Um, if any, if it's a flowering climber, say like clematis, that's Montana, that's going to be coming into flower at the moment. Obviously, you don't want to prune it just now mm. because. Um, because you're going to remove the flowers. Lilac or uh, wisteria shouldn't be cut at this time of year either. So any of the kind of spring, early summer varieties, don't trim them back. Right. Um, if it's something like ivy, you can trim back certainly at this time of year. Do check that birds aren't nesting in it because they can be at this time of year. And if they are, leave it till July. So it really depends what climber it is. Maybe if they give us a ring at the garden centre. Um, so, But take it as a, as a rule of thumb that if a plant is flowering over the next six weeks, leave it alone. alone and prune it after flowering. So that all the Montanas, Montana Rubens, um, should be pruned. Immediately the flower starts to fade about the middle of June. That's the time to get the hedge clippers out and give them a good hard trimming back. Perfect. Now, a listener has a problem. There's a dog soiling a lawn, and as a result, there are a lot of burnt and bare patches. So they're wondering, what can they do to repair them? Female dog, sounds like. Oh, really? Hmm. Do you oh, know that? No, I didn't. Female dogs cause the, the scorching uh, um, very seldom male dogs can be held yeah, accountable well, uh, yeah, for it. I was going to say, uh, I, sometimes I associated with the clubs that they grow better in, in those areas. Well, 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 you've got ammonia, you see, yeah, in, in the urine, and course, that, that yeah, encourages, that, 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 but it does scorch, particularly in dry weather. Oh. So, what, what, what can you do to repair them? Well, you can use, at this time of year, and again, with the sort of wet weather we're having, the patch magic would be very successful. That's yeah. a mixture of compost, fertiliser and lawn seed all mixed together. You simply just chuck it on the area. So cut the grass, first of all, put it onto the damaged area. Within two to three weeks, that'll have germination and knitted in. Now, if the dog continues to visit the lawn area, yeah. you're going to continue to have this problem. And um, it's more problematic in the summertime when the weather is dry, the grass is dry, yeah. the sun is out and of course the ammonia burns. It's if not it, getting washed away or no, it's not getting diluted. No, if they, if they use it a, a day like today, it yeah. just gets washed in, yeah. it's not a problem and you'll have a lovely clump yes, of, of healthy, <laughs> healthy green, green grass, grass in that spot. So, yeah, so okay. look at the, what can you do? You can repair it with the patch magic. Yeah, that's I suppose that's that's really the, just one just of the things with dogs, yeah. 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 
Uh, now, Teresa has a fairly uh, long question for us here, Pork. Very interesting. Uh, Teresa has a large woodland garden. It is fabulous in the spring and summer. It's filled with snowdrops and crocuses and winter aconites and hellebores. Oh, lovely, the hellebores, yeah. Yeah, daffodils, anemones, cowslips, lots and lots of options. Uh, the floor is covered with self-sown common ivy. The problem is that once the tree canopy closes, little else grows successfully. And are there any perennials that could be introduced that would extend the season? The soil is good and fertile, but Teresa doesn't have lots of money. Okay, and, and the ivy is going to be a little bit problematic in that it tends to choke the ground as well. So you may have to, in, in areas that you want to put in some shade-loving plants, mm-hmm. clear the ivy from that area. So the shade-loving plants that come to mind are things like uh, hostas, which do very well. They like the shade. They do. They, they actually help. It, they tend to hold their colour better in, in a shaded location. And they're better planted in clusters or clumps uh, in the one area. Now, you can sow hostas from seed or you can grow them from plants. And the great thing about them is that you can multiply them. So as they grow every two or three years, you can dig the plant up, split it and plant mm-hmm. it somewhere else. So they would be really successful. Cyclamen do really well. They're, they flower at different times of year, depending on the variety. But again, love the shade uh, and do very well. Wild garlic. Oh, yeah. Coming into flower at the moment. Now, it can it can be a bit of a weed if you let it, uh, if you let it spread, yeah. but you could keep it in a confined area. Uh, the foliage is lovely in the springtime to use in, in cooking, but it produces a white flower at this time of year and, and you know, it's great in shade. Mm. It really does really well. So look at really stick to the kind of um, shade-loving plants that tolerate those kind of dark areas. Sweet box would be one to look for, Saracocca, the sweet box. It flowers, it retains its foliage all year round, flowers then through the winter period, which is quite nice. Spotted laurel would do it. It all depends really on the depth of shade and how dark it it actually gets. So really what you're looking for are the shade-loving plants, those plants that will tolerate uh, shade in the garden. Um, So variegated uh, spotted laurel, hostas would be really good. The sickmen do very well. Those those sort of plants will you'll find successful, but you may have to treat the ivy. Well, you would have to treat the ivy. So that's yeah. So Otherwise, they'll just have a choke, chance. choke right. them up. Now, a listener brought, bought a clematis two weeks ago, repotted in a bigger pot already with compost. It's been watered in well. It's out in the patio, but it's looking very sad, and the petals appear to be dying. The leaves are looking dried out. What might be the problem? That doesn't sound good. Clematis can suffer from... Now, the fact that it's flowering, it sounds like it's it's one of the... Um, it's one of the spring-flowering varieties, the Montanas, um, which are very hardy. Yeah. But clematis can suffer from a thing called clematis wilt, which is where the plant just wilts. Right. It's just literally within... It's as if the plant got days. no water. Yeah. yeah, within a few days, and literally dies to ground level. The good news is that it, it reshoots again. Oh, okay. So I would just leave it alone at the moment. Yeah. You've done everything right. It doesn't need any more watering. So just give it an opportunity to actually start kicking back into growth again. And um, if it if if it starts to regrow from the base, it, you obviously had some clematis wilt on it. You can use um, something like Rose Clear or Rose Rescue on the plant to prevent clematis wilt happening yeah. again. It's a fungal disease that just causes them literally to wilt back. Okay. But give it a chance. Clematis are quite uh, resilient plants and they do reshoot from the base. They're one of the plants that when you're planting as a, t- a garden tip, you should plant them that little bit deeper 
into the soil. So kind of bury the stem by five, six inches into the ground because if you get clematis wilt on the plant, it'll, it, it has the ability then to reshoot from right. the base again. Okay. And I suppose sometimes when you move things into new pots, they, they need a bit of time to readjust they do, to and, a new and, environment. And of, also, it's not a good idea to give them too much water, you know, particularly if you're moving it from a small pot into a very large pot. Mm. If, if the compost is very wet, then plants dislike that. You know, you've moved them from a, a really tight container into something big. Yeah. And if the ground, if the moisture is, is quite high there, you can set them back as well. Okay. So I think just leave it alone, give it an opportunity to reshoot. And if it does, then just treat it with uh, some fungicide and that'll help to protect it for the rest of the summer. How do you get rid of dandelions in a lawn? You can answer that one this stage. <laughs> I'm only, con- I'm only cultivating well, them. I'm the first thing is that they've gone out of flower, which is great because Cust- the, be- the bees oh, yeah. won't be won't be visiting them anymore. So you can tackle them at this time of year, you and you, you can get a specific uh, dandelion and daisy spray. Or that, if it's a big area, yeah. you can use dico flower, which is very good if you've got a large lawn. Um, so. Don't cr- cut the grass for three or four days. Allow the dandelions to show themselves, plenty of foliage on them, and then hit them with the di- type of flower, the dandelion and daisy, and that'll see them off. Great stuff. Uh, now, a listener has raised beds. They have uh, done them for the potatoes uh, for her mother-in-law, his mother-in-law. They're wondering, what feed would you recommend for them? So the potatoes are planted? <clears throat> yes, I gather they are. Okay. So, um, well, again, you can use Seamongus fertiliser, which is very good. It's a good organic feed, high seaweed content. Uh, it's also got poultry manure in it very good for vegetables and indeed if people have planted potatoes already and they're growing through mm. the soil uh, an, an extra application of seamongus now would be a good idea with this wet weather you could also use the Vitex Q4 that I mentioned that's got a, <clears throat> a lot of nutrition in it and particularly it's got a lot of micronutrients which is very good for vegetables um, or you can use a liquid feed you could use the Vitex Q4 liquid feed so any of those three seamongus or the Vitex Q4 they'll all work very well and ideal in a in a um, raised bed as well. And potatoes do need feeding. I mean, it is important to put on a lot of growth now and a lot of bulk over the next five to six weeks. So an application of a fertiliser is a very good idea. The other thing I would do in, in uh, with potatoes, if you like them flowery, nice and flowery yes. and dry, <clears throat> around the end of June, early July, give them a dressing of sulphate of potash on its own. And the potash helps to dry up the, it takes out a lot of the moisture content of the ripening potatoes tubers and it gives you a, a drier flowery potato. So around July an application of sulphur potash around the base of the stems okay. of the plant is, a, is an excellent idea as well. Yeah, a lot, a lot of I suppose in Ireland we do like flowery we potatoes particularly, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, somebody's wondering, is they were told to put potash on their laurels, is this right? Well, no, well, it's not It's not that it's going to do any harm, mm. but <clears throat> what's the purpose of potash? Potash is there flowers. To, to, yeah, flowers. So uh, laurel needs nitrogen it wants to grow it wants to produce lots of new growth so get yourself a um, um, a tree and shrub feed there'll be potash in that there'll also be nitrogen there'll also be phosphorus and there'll also be micronutrients so sulfur of potash keep it for your flowery spuds or your hydrangeas yep. or your roses or uh, but most fertilizers contain potash some like rose feeds are high in, higher in potash because they're there yeah. to give flowers and, and so on so no <clears throat> don't put the potash on the laurels um, keep it to a tree and shrub fertiliser okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Boring wants to take a little drink of water there Frog and Throat well I'll give you the next question in the meantime it mm-hmm. relates to tomatoes Porik uh, a listener has tomatoes growing really well planted in March they're already producing flowers oh, great. they're wondering are they supposed to take some of the shoots off now they're not sure what they're doing but they're growing 
All right, okay. Right, <laughs> well, they're flowering, so that's great. Yeah. So occasionally it's a good idea just to tap the flowers if it's in the greenhouse or tunnel, which is obviously is if they're flowering already. Um, and that'll help to set the fruit. The, the other thing is to keep the doors open, allow the bumblebees in because the bumblebees actually pollinate the, the flowers of tomatoes. Um, <clears throat> the, what the listener is talking about is taking the side shoots, which are the shoots that come between the stem and the leaf axle. They should be removed. Yes. So you want to end up with a nice central stem on your tomato plant, a nice uh, upright stem with the flowers coming off and the, and the foliage coming off. But any side shoots should be removed. So look between the stem and the leaf axle where it joins. It generally produces a side shoot at that point and that should be removed. And periodically you want to do that every two weeks from now on. Walk your tomato row and take out any side shoots. When the plants come to about five feet, when they've produced about five or six trusses of tomatoes, then that's the time to stop them, to take the top of the tomato head out. And once they start to flower, um, certainly in the next two to three weeks, that listener should start feeding. Once the the, uh, tomatoes are about the size of a pea, once they've formed and about the size of a pea, which will happen in the next 10 days, Mm. then you start to feed weekly with a high potash, tomato fertiliser or liquid feed and do that every week from then on. And that's really all they have to do with your tomatoes. They're, they're going to fruit early for that listener. Should have fruit probably by mid-June, the end of June. Okay. <clears throat> uh, and final question, uh, and we'll do this fairly quickly if we may. Uh, a listener would like to plant some bedding plants now. They'd like some ideas for planting schemes, please. PJ, good morning. <laughs> have we all day? <laughs> well, <laughs> what, I would, what I would say, well, i tell you what PJ should do is come next weekend. We have I have an advice weekend next Saturday and Sunday um, in Turlock in Castle Bar. So I'll be there giving advice and uh, if PJ maybe brings in some photographs I'll tell him exactly what to use because there's such a wide range of, yes, of bedding I know, plants. Yeah. And, uh, we could be here all day talking could be, about yeah. them. So, so come along next Saturday, Sunday. So that, it's not today or tomorrow. It's the following Probably Saturday okay. and Sunday in Turlock and Castle Bar. We're giving a free advice weekend. So bring your pictures in and I'll go through all the bedding plants because they're all in at the moment we can go through them and show you what to use Great and is that a particular time next weekend or That will be from 11 or? o'clock after I finish the show 11 o'clock through to 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock that day on, on both on Saturday and on Sunday it'll be from 12 to 5 um, so we'll remind listeners next week we'll, We most certainly yeah. will but you can put that in your diary and obviously lots of options there for bedding plants It's a good yeah it, it's a good time to start planting now it, uh, anything soft like French marigolds busy lizzies begonias hold back for a couple of maybe another week or 10 days because you could still get a risk of frost just yet okay. stick to the hardier varieties Pork, thanks very much Georgia, thank you have a great weekend and we'll talk to you next Saturday stand by news is on the way next with Angelina Nugent and then of course it is country classics right through until one o'clock here on Midwest Radio with Michael Neary from Meter to Kelly for the moment good morning